It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. I 
J.M. in the A.M. The one and only Avramel. That's Avram Freed here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. This is Akeni off of the Keep Climbing CD. Yeshiva Boys had a Don Olamim from the Shabchi album. Yaakov Shweki, who's going to be the uh, featured entertainer on Sunday at the Hass concert, Lincoln Center. Kamu Baneha from Kolot and Malachim and Natsliach from the Live in Israel, Volume 2. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say... Good morning. It's Friday on this January 9th, day 18 in the month of Teves, the year 5775. Tough Hey, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos, candle lighting 426. Well, I didn't look up the official sunset in this area. Let me see if I can get a thing on that. I like to see if we're close when it comes to the right candle lighting. Yeah, we can call it for 426. Yeah, 426. Candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Uh, 25 degrees, the wind chills at 15. I know it's a lot better than 4 and 5 and all those numbers. Still would prefer if we were in the 80s, but that's a, that's a separate, that's my problem, I guess. There are places I could go to to be in the 80s. Wouldn't mind doing the show from there for a couple of weeks. Uh, anyway, uh, 25 with a wind chill of 15, 61% humidity, winds of southwest at 9 miles an hour. Morning light snow, high 34, then tonight, clear skies, a low of 16, sunshine for tomorrow, and a high temperature Shabbos, 22 degrees. Oh boy, cold Shabbos. Uh, Yerushalayim is 45 and a little bit of rain. We're at 25 with a wind chill of 15 here at JM and the AM in Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, Shabbos in Israel about 4.15. So if you want to speak to someone in Israel, in Yerushalayim meaning 4.15. Other parts of Israel, it's later. If you want to speak to somebody in Yerushalayim, got to get them before 9.15 Eastern time. That would be the way to do it. <laughs> Not too complicated, huh? Uh, JM in the AM, and we, um, we're here on a Friday, which means the weekly update is on the way. Oh yes, the weekly update is on the way. 7.40 this morning. As uh, the whole world continues to focus on this latest um, episode in Paris, we'll discuss the uh, world events in the context of Israel and the Jewish world, and obviously concentrate on this uh, horrific terror attack from this week. It's all coming up 7.40 this morning right here at JM in the AM, so make sure to be tuned in for that. And... Um, And uh, don't forget that we have great programming on our stream all day long. Coming up at 9 a.m., Naomi Nachman with the latest edition of Table for Two, followed by the incredible Erev Shabbos music mix with a big thank you to our friends at Kedem. That happens all the way until candlelighting time. There's no better way to prepare for Shabbos than with us all day long on the stream at jmnam.org. And, of course, if you have the NSN app, make sure to play it, use it. If you don't have it, install it and enjoy it. It's amazing. Great Arab Shabbos music all through Friday. It's the best way to go through a Friday uh, before Shabbos begins. 25 minutes before 7 o'clock, JM in the AM on this uh, Arab Shabbos. Uh, keep listening to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 FM, and around the world on the web, jmintheam.org. Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 FM. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Special greetings to those tuned in on our NSN app, the Nachum Siegel Network app for iPhone and Android. Remember, you can comment on this show as it goes on when you utilize the home screen of the app. Simple as that. Simcha Liner, he'll be on stage Sunday night with Pischi Lee. Uh, Yehuda Solomon had Vishamruth, Shalom Kalbach's boy, Vishalom, Mordechai ben David, Vishalom Aleichem. Friday morning with candle lighting at 426, 25 degrees, wind chill at 15. Weekly update coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, 740. Malcolm Holmline will join us. We'll discuss the events of this week, and there's plenty to talk about, that's for sure. So join us for that weekly update, 740 this morning, or by Uden, of course, at 815 with the Torah portion of the week. 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman, brand new edition of the uh, Table for Two. Between 9 and 10. Jay Booksbaum is scheduled to stop by and join us at JM in the AM February the 9th, a month from today, February the 9th, the KFWE. If you don't know what that is, get ready. It is, it is a phenomenal, and this is not just, I'm not saying this in advance of an event that we don't know about. This is in advance of an event that has happened already in past years, and it's remarkable. So we'll give you that information coming up and plenty more happening here on a Friday. Trying to get through the, um, investigation as to whether it's snowing or raining in Israel, whatever the case may be. I want to thank listener Moshe Tzvi. Says, uh, snow is again falling in Yerushalayim. Thank you, Moshe Tzvi. That was as, as of one thirty-five local time in Israel. And on Facebook, it seems that there are people in Israel who are claiming that for the third time this week, maybe not major storms, but for the th- third time this week, some type of snow is coming down right now. On a Friday afternoon. So that type of weather continues there. We got the freezing cold over here. And we have you tuned into a great JM and AM radio broadcast. This comes from Benny Friedman. He'll be on stage Sunday night. Here he is from his latest at JM and the AM.
Oh, yes. Rock Me Yachad is done by uh, Benny Friedman off of the CD with All My Soul. And Colin uh, Ashamash Ali, and that's brand new here at JM in the AM. All right, here we go. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmos. Candle lighting at 426 on this Erev Shabbos. Reminder, amazing programming on our stream all through the weekend. Um, tomorrow night, Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull starting at 10 p.m. Eastern time on the stream. It will be dominated by Hask selections of the past and by the artists who will be appearing at the Hask concert this year. That's happening tomorrow night with Avrami starting at 10 p.m. Eastern time on our stream. JM and the AM.org. On Sunday, Matis Weingast, Sunday morning presents JM Sunday which includes news in English from Israel and always has a spectacular music and guests. 7 until 9, Sunday morning, Eastern Time on the stream at jmandtheam.org. Matis will hand off to a great mix of music throughout the day Sunday, which will include a whole bunch of Hask um, selections in honor of the concert on Sunday night. And don't forget, on Sunday night at 7 p.m., Elliot Weiselberg, who's doing such a remarkable job with our sports department, uh, will present a uh, court report. Uh, Elliot Weiselberg court report coming up on Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want to know what's happening with hockey and basketball in the Yeshiva League, he will know because he always knows. Make sure to be tuned in uh, to our stream at that point, 7 o'clock Sunday night. Should be a lot of fun. The sports talk always is. Candle lighting at 426. JM and the AM Friday, our weekly update coming up. Malcolm Homeline is going to join us and plenty more. Keep it here at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Special hello. To those who are tuned in on the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for iPhone and Android, make sure to install it. You can listen in any time and comment on any show that you're listening to on the home screen of the app. Check out the NSN app today. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next at JMNM. Galitzal, Hashash Time, Kanehut Graf, in Mashikorea Shav. Atevach Baiton Hasatiri Betsarfat. Bashaota Haronot, Mit Batsrima Mechablim, Shibitsu et Atevach, Bayarat, Sfonit le Paris, Behem Kehol Hanir Elakhu ben Arubaehat. כתבתנו אופרי אשל משטרת צרפת מדווחת כי פתחה ערוץ תקשורת ומשא ומתן עם שני המחבלים המתבצרים בבית הדפוס באזור התעשייה דמרטן עם בן ערובה אחד לפחות לפי כמה דיווחים בתקשורת הצרפתית המחבלים הודיעו למנהלי המשא ומתן שהם נחושים בדעתם למות מות קדושים כדבריהם בינתיים העיירה שממוקמת במרחק 40 קילומטרים מפריז נמצאת בעוצר התלמידים נצורים בבתי הספר בשדה התעופה הגדול בצרפת שאר דה גול נפסקו ההמראות והנחיתות מחלקו הצפוני של השדה הממוקם עשרות קילומטרים בלבד מזירת האירוע נשיא צרפת פרנסואה הולנד כינס מסיבת עיתונאים דחופה בעקבות האירועים אני מתבטא בפניכם בזמן שהמבצע עדיין מתרחש, אמר הולנד. צרפת עדיין בהלם מהאירועים, והאחראים לפעולה עוד לא נעצרו. כך נשיא צרפת. 
דרישה נוספת בישראל ביתנו. השר לביטחון הפנים אהרונוביץ' הודיע על פרישתו מהחיים הפוליטיים. כתבנו עידו בן בג'י. על רקע היחלשות ישראל ביתנו בסקרים, השר לביטחון פנים אהרונוביץ' הודיע לפני זמן קצר כי החליט לעזוב את החיים הפוליטיים. זאת לאחר שרק הבוקר צוטט בידיעות אחרונות אומר, אם ליברמן ירצה אותי אשאר, אם לא ירצה, לא אכעס. בכך מצטרף אהרונוביץ' לשניים מחבריו למפלגה, עוזי לנדאו ודוד רותם. על פי הערכות במפלגה, יאיר שמיר עשוי לעזוב אף הוא. שר החוץ ליברמן הודה לאהרונוביץ' ואמר, נמשיך לשתף פעולה בעתיד. נעצר חשוד בביצוע פיגוע הדקירה אתמול בירושלים. כתבנו יותם ברגר. החשוד, קטין פלסטיני בן 15, נעצר בעיר העתיקה בירושלים הבוקר. על פי החשד, הוא דקר אמש יהודי בן 21 באמצעות מברג, פצע אותו בינוני ונמלט מן המקום. הפצוע מאושפז גם היום בבית החולים שערי צדק. הסערה נחלשה מעט בצפון, ואילו בירושלים חזר השלג. כתבתנו שירה הדס נקר. אחרי בוקר של שלג ברמת הגולן ובערי הגליל נחלשו שם משקעים, וכעת השמיים כחולים בצפון הארץ. בירושלים לעומת זאת החל בשעה האחרונה לרדת שלג לסירוגין, וייתכן שייערם לקראת אחר הצהריים. בשעה זו הכבישים פתוחים והתחבורה הציבורית בעיר פועלת כסדרה. דיווחי תנועה מאולפן גלגלצ. כביש מספר 443, שנחסם לתנועה מוקדם יותר בשל השלג, נפתח כעת. בעקבות תנאי מזג האוויר, חסומים לתנועה בצפון, כביש מספר 98 מרמת מגשימים דרך מג'דל שמס עד אתר החרמון. באזור ים המלח, כביש מספר 90 בקטע שבין עין בוקק ומצוגי דרגות, ועוד בדרום הארץ, גשר צאלים חסום לתנועה בשני הכיוונים. במרכז, באיילון דרום, עומס תנועה ממחלף השלום עד מחלף לגוארדיה. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי. בצוות הודיה קוסלובסקי ושגיא גבאי.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, with candle lighting at 426 later on today. Bowie Vishalom comes from Shlomo Katz. Before that, Yaakov Shweki headlining Sunday night at Hask with Cry No More. And before that, the live in Nokia uh, album with Bowie Vishalom. 21 minutes after 7 o'clock on this Friday morning, and uh, we we were wondering who is the best person to speak to regarding what Jerusalem looks like in the snow. And I want to thank my friends from Keshet Israel, because they arranged for us this morning to speak with the legendary David Rubinger. David Rubinger is, of course, the uh, photojournalist who is essentially referred to as the photographer of the uh, state of Israel. Uh, Shimon Peres called him the photographer of the nation in the making. And now, uh, past the age of 90, a real legend in the, um, in the life of uh, the state of Israel. And of course, I would guess most famous for the photograph of the three soldiers at the Kotel Amaravi, the Western Wall, uh, back in 1967, a photo that has become iconic and a real important piece in Jewish history. David Rubinger, an honor to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you for joining me. Good morning to you all. So what does the snow look like from a photographic standpoint in the holy city of Jerusalem? Well, you're asking me in a long year. Last year it was something to look at. <laughs> this year it's, it's uh, I think, uh, a little bit hysterical to talk about that, that mud, that little white mud, uh, an inch high or an inch le- less than an inch high, which uh, lasts for about five seconds. To talk about that snow is an insult to Alaska. Well, it is. It's certainly an insult to Alaska. Well, the, the, the hysteria, of course, is caused by what happened in December of 2013. It wasn't so terrible. It was wonderful in December. I had half a meter of snow in my garden. It was beautiful. Everybody was happy. I don't think it was so terrible. Those people who got stranded in cars, well, they, they survived. Unfortunately no, for them, no, that's it's not true. so terrible. But, you know, we Jews have uh, have one uh, characteristic. We need a da- daily tragedy. <laughs> if we can't have a war, we must have a storm. If we can't have a storm, we must have snowstorms. If we can't have snowstorms, we must have some. We need a tragedy every day. Well, thank God you've been you've been able to document both uh, uh, tragedies. Well, but that's, mo- a, that's a little humorous. No, I understand, uh, I understand that. Attitude, but I, uh, I think the history uh, that preceded that uh, what's called the terrible weather. I'm looking outside. God, it's nice and quiet outside. Oh, imagine that. We keep getting conflicting reports from the Holy Land. And I was going to say that, thank God, you've had the opportunity to document many wonderful things as well. David Rubinger, the uh, legendary photojournalist, is with us live via telephone from Israel. I think what you and other journalists like the or other uh, f- photographers, I should say, like the most about the snow is that it's a subject that stays still. You know if you run to get your camera, it will be there when you get back. That's not always the case, right? Not in Israel. I can get my camera. The <laughs> snow will be gone by the time I'm outside. That's a good point. <laughs> not it's in the not, bl- yeah, not in the not bl- the climate for snow. Right. It's, it's snow here is a. It's beautiful and for for the few, for the very very short time that it lasts. Well, not in the blizzard conditions. Yeah. That would say a palm tree covered with snow, is uh, is beauty in itself. Yeah, that's for sure. Before we talk about some of your iconic historic photographs, so what is your favorite nature? Photograph in Israel? Would it be something up north near the Hermon? Would it be something? That's a very hard question. I've been asked the question very often, and uh, 
my answer is always, uh, do you have children? Which one is your famous, famous favorite one? Uh, it definitely is not the one that became iconic. It's, uh, it's an iconic picture, but it's not my favorite picture. As a photograph, I mean. Yeah, it's I... not a great photograph, simply. It's, it's iconic because the public made it iconic. It's never the photographer who creates an icon. Yeah, and you're referring, of course... The government knows that he creates an icon. And you're Actually, refer- we had a big argument that one day in a, in a symposium about photography at the Haifa University. And everybody said, oh, photographers create iconic pictures, blah, blah, blah. And I said, wait a moment, I can prove the opposite. No, you can't. And I said, you all know the picture of the little boy in the Warsaw Ghetto with hands, hands, hands up and uh, marching and German soldiers pointing their guns at him. The iconic picture of the Shoah. Well, who shot it? An officer in, uh, in Goebbels' information unit. So, so does, did he want to create an icon of the, of the Holocaust? No. The picture became iconic. Understood. David Rubinger, the iconic photojournalist with us live via telephone on this Arab Shabbat. Uh, what, what's interesting, I read something, uh, I read a few things about that photo that you're referring to now as not iconic, but because of the circumstances, of course, others made it. So uh, you didn't like the fact from a photographic point of view that, that, that there were people in the background who, you know, you couldn't see fully and the angles were not what you preferred. I think you're being a little hard on yourself, no? You, 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 you Maybe do- I'm hard on myself. No, I'm, 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 I can't say that I don't like what that picture did for, for me. I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible. I got the Israel Prize thanks to that picture. Right. I think. But as a, from a purely photographic point of view, it is not a great picture because in pho- photography, in my opinion, a good photograph is one that has nothing in it that need not be in it. Absolutely nothing. Not one tree, not one, not one line, nothing that is not essential now here we have three soldiers to in awe probably he took his helmet because he was tired and sweating but uh, people are looking over the shoulders half a face there, quarter of a face there in other words, from a purely photographic point of view it's not, can't be considered I have other pictures which I consider much much greater as, as photographs do you, photographs. Do, you have, photographs. do you have many other pictures from that day? Uh, well, you know, actually when I took that picture, I wasn't even aware that I had taken a picture. I was lying on the floor shooting, just soldiers passing by me, you know, and the, these three were among them. And uh, about 15 or 20 minutes later, the uh, chief rabbi of the Israeli armed forces, Major, Slor, Major General Shlomo Goren, came by and was hoisted on the shoulders of soldiers with a Torah scroll in his hand and a chauffeur in the other hand. Right. And I thought this was the picture. Right. And I came home, and I remember coming home, developing the film before I sent it, shipped it off to New York, and uh, sitting and looking to contact Prince, and my wife stood next to me, and she said, oh, but that's a nice picture. And she pointed to the picture of the three soldiers. And I said, <laughs> what? This is nothing, just three soldiers. Look, I've got a picture of Shlomo Goran, the chief rabbi. At the wailing wall, chauffeur in his hand on the on the shoulders of soldiers, and she said, "Yeah, but that's a nice picture." And it turns out she was uh, she had a better eye than I. Who were you working for at that point? Time magazine. Time magazine. I mean, it's still no. Time, 
at that time, I was still working for Life too. For Life magazine. Life was still, life and, was still existing. And, and what do you think of the reunion photo 40 years later? Oh, <laughs> we, did, we did that um, with the three, three soldiers. Well, the, one in the middle, by the way, is a gynecologist, huh. a doctor. And uh, the reunion photos had a very funny... Uh, it was, we did a film, by the way, a documentary with that picture, too. And the man in the middle, the one who's a gynecologist, young, blonde, beautiful young guy with a helmet in his hand, said, huh, look... Now they have stolen this cotton from me again. I said, what? He said that to the interviewer. And he said, yeah, look, if I would stand, be standing there like, like that today with my helmet in my hand, I would, 16 rabbis would jump on me and put the yarmulke on me. Ah. <laughs> that is great. And that, led, and that led to actually getting together to make the photo? I'm sorry? That led to making the, the reunion photo or was done already before that point? No, 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 no. We shot that. That the reunion photo was part of the documentary. Oh, that was part of the documentary. But that is funny. What an interesting comment. <laughs> David Rubinger is with us. He's one of the amazing, iconic personalities that we're going to meet when we head to Israel for our trip in July. Uh, what type of photographs do you show when uh, when visitors come from the United States and and tour groups well, come to see I you? I had several exhibits. Of course, I had a recent. My most recent exhibit in the states was in in uh, Palm Beach, uh, Florida, uh, last January, exactly a year ago. And uh, Photo Fusion had, uh, gave me an award, and I had an exhibit there. But what I'm doing now is not so much exhibits as I'm traveling around with, uh, as far as my age allows, of course, right. with a presentation, which consists of 160, 130 slides, pictures, about which I tell stories, anecdotes, all from my professional life, and... Uh, concerning presidents, prime ministers, artists, uh, uh, painters, uh, temple people, all sorts of things, wars, of course, all things that uh, a photojournalist uh, encounters in 60 years of his uh, of a professional life. Which encounter... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, which encounter between world leaders do you remember the most? Which... Uh... Well, definitely one of my favorite pictures is a picture that I shot in Aswan in Upper Egypt when uh, Sadat and uh, Begin were in a very intimate talk upon which I luckily gained access to it through a window. And uh, they were, uh, uh, Sadat was whispering in Begin's ear. And that for me is very, very, was very, was a very telling photo. Because here are two leaders in a very intimate situation after four wars that had been fought between their people. Unbelievable. And that gave me a great deal of thought. Ah. Another picture that I've taken with Sadat and Begin is when Begin one day was invited to Cairo and the dinner was given. And at the dinner he presented to Sadat a man who had an steel hook in his hand, a soldier who had lost his hand in the war against Egypt. <laughs> and Sadat warmly embraced the man. 
Those are amazing encounters. David Rubinger, the f- iconic Israeli photographer, you know his most famous photo, the three Israeli paratroopers at the Western Wall in 1967. He is one of the amazing personalities we're going to meet during our Keshet Israel journey to Israel coming up this summer, uh, starting the day after Tisha B'Av, July the 27th. We'll have a chance to meet him and see some of his incredible photographs uh, this coming uh, a tour to Israel in July. Um, what do you think... Of this era, Mr. Rubinger, where because of the technology of today, so many people themselves consider themselves photographers. Oh, well, uh, you have a pencil? Yeah. Are you a writer? Understood. But if you have a cell phone today, everyone thinks they're a photojournalist. My my, my, uh, standard answer to this question, which is, of course... Has, it's a legitimate uh, question, a very legitimate question. However, I always say, do you know what Shakespeare wrote with? Goose feather. Right. He wrote with goose feather. Right. Now, was there any shortage of goose feathers in Shakespeare's times? There were plenty. There, there, Shakespeare's? there were plenty. Why aren't there many? Right. Only one Shakespeare. So the, camera, the camera itself is only a tool. Depends what you do with it. Great writers have been writing with pencils, have been writing with, t- with, with typewriters, and are now maybe writing with word processors. It depends what they write, not what they write to it. Right. Excellent. Wonderful perspective. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the snow in Jerusalem, and Shabbat Shalom to you. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. If, if, you are, if I'm still around in, Jula, in July, I'm looking forward to see you all. I appreciate that very much. I have a feeling you will be, Bezrat Hashem. David Rubiger, the iconic, historic photographer in Israel. He's one of the people we're going to be meeting during the, our journey to Israel this summer. And uh, I figured, who better to get a perspective on the outdoors in Israel this week, on the snow or lack of snow, depending on where you are in Israel, than Israel's most iconic photographer and photojournalist. There he is, and I thank him very much here at JM in the AM. More coming up here at JM in the AM. The uh, weekly update with Malcolm Holmline is minutes away as the world continues to focus on what's happening in Paris, and there's so many other things to talk about. We'll do uh, a weekly update with Malcolm Holmline coming up right here at JM in the AM minutes from now. Here's Diaspora.
the AM. He'll be on stage Sunday night, one of the performers of the big Hess concert on Sunday. That's Benny Friedman, of course. Yehuda Green before that, Ruth Rup Shlomo's Nigun. Diaspora had Shabbat Shalom. That was pretty amazing, speaking to David Rubinger, the legendary photojournalist, uh, minutes ago here at JM in the AM. <laughs> it was funny when I asked him about the snow being a subject that doesn't move, and he said, not true in Israel. You can go get your camera, and the snow will be gone by the time you get back. <laughs> Obviously not referring to the blizzard we were in. Speaking of blizzard, we're getting pounded here in Jersey City. My gosh. I didn't realize that there's over an inch of snow in the last hour. Unbelievable. Uh, hopefully uh, that'll end soon. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us and our live stream to their readers. If you want the thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos and get educated about what's happening in this world of ours, check out JewishWorldReview.com. Candle lighting at 426 on this Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos. 426 is candle lighting time. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Siegel tomorrow night starting at 10. Matis with JM Sunday coming up at 7 a.m. Sunday morning, Eastern Time, on our stream at jmnam.org. And don't forget, we broadcast Tuesday, Tuesday morning, from the Amit headquarters in Manhattan. Amit is getting set for their 90th anniversary celebration, founded in 1925. <clears throat> and we will be at the Amit headquarters in Manhattan on Tuesday morning, between 6 and 9, to kick off that big celebration. So 90th birthday for Amit. We'll be there Tuesday here at JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in uh, on Tuesday morning. 13 minutes before 8 o'clock, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Good morning to you. Uh, most of us, or at least the people who are paying attention to what's happening in Paris, are aware of the fact that there's now a standoff with the... Uh, with the murderers, with the terrorists from this week's episode. There's even a rumor, if in fact there is a hostage, and the foreign ministry of France can't confirm it yet, but there's a rumor that it's a that it could be somebody in a Jewish-owned business in northeast Paris. Is that a Jewish area, the northeastern portion of Paris? There are Jews in all areas. I don't know which part they refer to as northeast. There is a hostage, according to police, has confirmed that they... Uh that they have a hostage. Uh, it's not necessarily from that building. It was a printing uh, facility, uh. but they haven't identified it. One of the people killed, one of the cartoonists killed, was Jewish uh, in the original attack. And as you know, there was another attack on a policeman that has now been linked directly to uh, the uh, attack on the magazine headquarters. And we have to look at the broader context of, of what is happening in France, what this really means, and uh, what can be and has been done. There's so many angles to this story. It, you know, the, Obviously, terror equals fear, etc., and we know that, and we know that's the goal of the terrorists. But when, a, when, when freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of the press, you know, things that we really take for granted and that we think you know, all are entitled to, when that's attacked directly... It hits the the collective heart. This is a this is a, a, an episode, a tragedy that has really garnered international pain and attention because it was a again a target of of uh, of terror that again is identified as one that stands for freedom, right? To one form of freedom, right? And even though there are limits, even on speech, 
and, and uh, exemplified by yelling fire in a crowded theater. But here, this was a clearly satirical magazine, um, made fun of Jews, made fun of Christians, made fun of everyone. Uh, and if you have objections, there are ways you could pick it, you can do other things. Yeah. But this, look at the record, and what I always point out, that always they say, you know, isolated case, these guys decided on their own. Now we find out one was in Yemen. We find out that they may have had online connections. Al-Qaeda ties. Um, and, well, that would, you know, Al-Qaeda in, in Yemen. Right. Uh, or this uh, sort of uh, uh, area that uh, that there is much more. And what we have seen in France generally, there are a thousand French su- supermarkets, including some major changes uh, like Carrefour, that have been selling Islamic books that openly call for jihad and killing of non-Muslims. You have uh, 60% of the prison population, which isn't that large in France, are identified with, as Muslims. There are many other factors, including what I discussed here many years ago, the creation of these uh, ghettos where Christians and Jews can't live and the police don't go, and that the uh, whole atmosphere of lawlessness and the number of incidents, of the tens of thousands of, of acts of urban and civil violence, uh, makes it impossible to, to account for the large migration, not just of Jews, but of, of uh, young French people generally. The, the French population now in England is second only to France in Europe because of the migration of people in, in view of the domestic the developments domestically, and the same is happening in other countries of Europe, which only further exaggerates the um, demographic imbalances that exist. But let's go back for a moment to the comment you made about isolation. We, we spoke about this last week. I expressed my frustration when people talk about isolated incidents, and there have been plenty in the U.S., and we know about Australia, Canada, etc. Um, we were discussing this yesterday. When does in Let's say for a moment that the premise is that these are not isolated incidents and that everybody is linked in some way, whether it's theology, ideology, um, you know, g- convincing, uh, uh, you know, one being convinced of the jihad, etc., and they act that way. It is, is, however, this incident much different because of the military style, the preparedness, the, the planning of a conspiracy and the length to which they went to plan an attack like this? Does that make it much different than Australia, Canada, etc., or not? No, first of all, most of the incidents are not just haphazard. They weren't spur-of-the-moment uh, decisions. There are such cases, but uh, second, the, the, we know about the infrastructure in France, that, uh, and, and it goes on many levels, whether the preaching of imams, whether it's the, the uh, institutional infrastructure, the fact that you have probably a 1,000 French people fighting in Syria who are coming back and will come back in increasing numbers, uh, in the future, and the French government essentially says they do not have control uh, over this. Uh, they try to watch it, and the government has generally condemned uh, anti-Semitic incidents or other incidents, but the fact is that you haven't seen the kind of response on the part of police and others. Now you have raids all over France taking place all night. There was a period I reported a couple, three weeks ago two, uh, or two weeks ago uh, about raids around uh, across France because of the other, another terrorist attack and people arrested in 12 different places and that in Toulouse and 
and nons and other areas that were raped. So they know that this infrastructure exists. And it's inevitable then that it's going to be expressed in these kind of attacks. Right, and I'm, but I'm sorry for being so obsessed with this point, but when the Cafe Australia occurs, when that episode occurs, isn't it a terrible mistake to look at it as an isolated episode? And, and, Absolutely. It is, and we were discussing, Henry Stimler was here yesterday, we love talking politics with him, knows a lot about Europe, etc., and, and he kept stressing how this was so different because of the nature of the attack, and I, I just think we have to view them as all being linked together, and, and whether it's because of theology and being convinced Convinced by a specific, you know, imam or leader to go ahead and carry out an attack, or if it is a planned military type operation like we saw this week in Paris, it's all the same. Yeah, but a planned military operation to go into a, a magazine uh, office and kill people, but they call them by name um, because of the magazine. <laughs> you know, you know the names of the people. The cartoonists sign their names, so I, I don't see that there's a qualitative difference yet pro proven except for that, that they had many arms. I know the car that they were driving still was filled with arms. They had, they had the weapons. But you're going to, you, you know, when, it, when we see some of the attacks on American university campuses, more, many more people were killed. The, the guys have, you know, high-powered weapons. It doesn't, uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that the difference in, in the quality of the event for the point that you're making right. about are there relationships? Are there connections? Every time, every time, you discover that it's not just some guy right. in the you know middle of nowhere. That was the Fort Hood argument. That was that was what was so frustrating with the way Washington responded to the Fort Hood. Exactly, Malcolm. How can good win over evil in this case? We know that the that there's no real address, right? There's no leader of a country who's uh, who, who's out there, you know. Uh, by the way, has there been any credit taken yet? Has any group even taken credit for this attack yet? No, most groups have disassociated. Um, so we don't even know who's claiming responsibility for this one. Forget about whether terror has an address or not. We 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 haven't even been told by the other side, by the enemy, you know, who's responsible for it. Well, if they were in Yemen and they received training in Yemen, then it's al-Qaeda. Uh, the Houthis did not train them. Uh, not, not that they're any better, but they. Uh, but you, you see the calls today from leaders of ISIS, ISIL, and others that, that telling them, stay in your country and wreak havoc there. Right. Don't come because it's more difficult to get in because, the, you know, they're still recruiting hundreds and hundreds every month. New, new recruits are coming to, to fight. And the more extreme the fight, the more recruits they get, and the beheadings continue. They don't even make headlines anymore. They don't even sometimes get reported anymore. When when a terrorist is on the U.S. no-fly list, can they leave European countries? When they get to the airport, they just can't come to the United States. That's it. I would think there would be shared intelligence where if a, where if a guy like that showed up at any international airport, it would it would raise a red flag. Well, they have been under surveillance in uh, France. They, they 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 were identified a long time ago by the police. Uh, and the question is, why weren't they being monitored more closely? But the, que the question is, do the, the police have the resources to track thousands of people, perhaps maybe more? Do they have the intelligence set up? Do they devote the resources necessary? You, you saw when the synagogue was attacked how long it took for the police to get there. Yeah. They acknowledge that you have a thousand places in, in uh, these uh, ghettos that were created, where the police don't go, where lawlessness uh, uh, really reigns, and it's it's their own domestic 
control where a local imam or or whoever whatever the infrastructure there authority figures there are but they aren't the french police all right i hate to reiterate my my frustrating question but how how does good win over evil in this case I and mean, i know historically we've had you know good has had a good track record when it's come to finally winning these things but this one seems almost impossible how how is this going to turn into a uh, into a victory for the good side well the first thing is what we knew all along and that and have said for perhaps 10 years on this program or more is that the government the law enforcement the all the authority figures have to make a decision that they're going to confront this and they're going to call it for what it is look how many statements were made which will not identify that these guys came in and said yelled al akbar that won't say who they are they won't name it if you can't name it you can't and shame it and try to isolate it those who are are involved and this is not the Muslim, the vast majority of Muslims in, in France I'm sure find it abhorrent and, and reject it but you have an infrastructure that is increasingly radicalized where the imams who many of whom by the way trained in England all these French people going to England they don't know that many of these, moms, these uh, imams uh, are trained there where you have uh, uh, the same process of radicalization taking place uh, that the, first the, the Muslim community itself its leadership its religious leadership and other leadership have to start speaking out and, and some, acting on it. And some did. And and some did, absolutely. And, and I would believe that the vast majority of the Muslims would, you know, reject it. But they, you know, they tolerate uh, the same kind of caricatures and much worse about Israel or about Jews, no. and sometimes about Christians and others. They have to, we have to say there will be zero tolerance for intolerance. There has to be real criminal charges. There has to be a willingness to act and sometimes act uh, with toughness and, and, you know, to protect a, a population. Israel gets criticized for saving its, its population from uh, overwhelming terrorists uh, around them, uh, odds, uh, and, and doing the right thing to protect and doing it in the most humane and, and uh, restrained way possible, but you have to act. And what? And what about the and major? Europe has not acted, and they will still not acknowledge it and say it and call. Right. It when what it is. when major media outlets, and in this case, I mean the New York Times, are most concerned with the Islamophobia that's being created by these situations, instead of doing what you just described, you know, th- th- openly saying who the enemy is and how to attack them. That, that's a big problem. That's, and they're controlling a lot of the agenda. The media is controlling a lot of the agenda. That is what they are most concerned with, that it's leading to more Islamophobia. That should not be the focus this week. Well, you don't want to have people marching in the streets and, and, and attacking other people and, and uh, because somebody from... from uh, Understood. But, but <laughs> So that, that is a concern because that can escalate. Look, I think uh, uh, a lot of what people, you know, written me all week and saying, look, you know, you saw since the attack... Um, here, France went out way out on the limb, and at the Security Council voted for the Palestinian resolution, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there is no linkage. It, it led to some people. It led to some people blaming the Mossad for the episode. I'm sure you saw that ridiculous. Well, it's not a lot. It was just a, a right. group of wacko BDS right. people, a small group. It's not. That was not. I know. Did not did not permeate the media. And but it got publicity, so I figured no I'd mention it. Conspiratorial right. theorists yet yet. And I have no doubt that we will see uh, uh, much more of it. Uh, but, you know, and then they use it sometimes to justify and say, talk about the frustrations, talk about, you know, the political issues, talk about other things. One of the factors 
that I think drives the Hollande, the president of France, and, and, and the position that they took. By the way, they've been critical now of the Palestinians going back for the second round, which we expect soon, at the Security Council, trying again to pass a resolution to force the U.S. to veto, um, is that he's looking at the next election. And Muslims, who are more than 10% of the population, and some have estimated could be 14, 15% of the electorate, but even 10% of the electorate, that is huge in, in a tight race. And now uh, Le Pen has surged oh. ahead in the domestic election. So you see that backlash right. occurring. That, that was one of our focuses of yesterday. It's going to happen in, in so many European countries, right? Well, it is happening. Right. You see the far right. And, the, and, right. and we can't draw much comfort because you got extremists in those groups, too, yep. who espouse philosophies and ideas that are not acceptable, but you see the backlash exactly creates the, the atmosphere we just we discussed and the possible consequences, and then you spiral out of control. So the first thing is that the Muslim community itself has to act. They have to stop. They have to change the educational system. They have to see messages of tolerance and have to see that things that appear on the Internet go after the sources of it, isolate them, cut them out, and, and the law enforcement has to act more aggressively and and not just at the time of an event and then for a week after, like at a synagogue, so for three days everybody says, right. oh, how but, terrible, how terrible. But all that type of change could take generations. You know how long that could take. It, it, no, but you can have action now. Action that, for instance, starts to root out, finding out where weapons are and starting confiscating, uh, to, to really confiscate them on a nationwide basis. How come they could carry out all those raids in, uh, in two, two weeks ago and now... And identifying that there are, they know the people all around the country just as they knew these two guys. They had them under under surveillance at some point. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we're being bombarded with photos of uh, screenshots of all these different television stations that are in fact reporting that there is a hostage situation at a kosher supermarket in East Paris as we speak. I have no idea what's confirmed and what's not, but that, uh, that report continues to... Uh, um, be shared with people around the world. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnan.org. Special hello to those tuned in on the NSN app around the world and are seriously using the app to comment right now. A lot of people letting us know about the situation in Paris, or at least what they're hearing uh, on the app right now. You know, I, it's interesting how this seeped into Israeli politics, and normally I wouldn't bring this up because I don't know if it would be appropriate. But I just thought, I, I just thought it was so well deserved. You know, Tippi Livni, um, <laughs> she makes a statement how they don't talk or reconcile with terrorism, and this is this is the, and I'm glad Naftali Bennett pointed it out. This is the chief Israeli politician when it comes to negotiation, when it comes to sitting at the table with people like this. Did, did you find that a little bit contradictory when she came out with that statement? Uh, look, first of all, in the political season, everything goes. Second of all, uh, I, I think that is the policy of the government of Israel. It always has been, and a part of everybody talks about it. The question is the execution and uh, how you how you act. You see how the international community cuts Israel no slack. What we saw at the in, uh, this week at the Security Council, now the threats about the international criminal uh, court, where you have a, a prosecutor. Who, who still talks about the occupation in Gaza 
and and despite the fact that you don't have a single soldier, but she says it, and and when asked why, she said because the international community says so. So you have a, an international community that doesn't care about the rules of international law, doesn't care about the reality on the ground, and and engages. I mean, it simply targets Israel out of all proportion and and without justification, and that also gives license that if they see that they can win in the international community, if they see. ISIS's uh, successes and and how the the world's lack of reaction it's an it's an, a further inducement for guys to say we're not going to pay a price. Well, is this all Ban Ki Moon? Did he unilaterally get this through to uh, to allow Palestine to um, pursue war crime allegations against Israel? No, absolutely not. Well, it certainly seems that way because without him, he w- he wouldn't didn't he go ahead and allow them to join the ICC or declare at least that in April they'll be able to join? That's a good question. So, first, let's look at the process. Uh, first, the ICC, the, what happened in the Security Council was a separate matter. That's the vote right. of the members of the Security Council. Correct, and I thought that that killed the whole thing. Pardon me? I thought that killed the whole thing. They couldn't go to the ICC after that. No, to go to ICC is a separate agency. This is These are two separate tracks completely. Going to the Security Council uh, means that somebody has to introduce a resolution because uh, the PA is not a member of the Security Council. Right. So the U.S. vetoed that. UN. They are. Uh, uh, they have the status similar to Vatican or others uh, in in the UN. So they went through Jordan, etc. The ICC means that it's simply they have to apply. Now the question is, uh, can they? Do they qualify? The, ICC, the International Criminal Court is only for states. Right. So the United States and others argue, and Israel argued that. They're, they're not a member state. Then. They're not a state. How do they... Right. Without Ban Ki-moon, they could not have possibly no. been pushed through, whoa, whoa, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No. What Ban Ki-moon did was a procedural thing. It was not a, he did not uh, comment on the legitimacy of the move or anything else. He simply did what... The, when they apply, he, has to, he hands in the application. He can't stop it. That This is a purely procedural step that he took. To allow and it for... He issued a statement, if you look... After the announcement, he issued a statement saying, I'm not commenting on the legitimacy of what they're trying to do. Right, but meaning his procedure then calls for a vote. What is the procedure after his procedure? Okay, so now uh, the application goes to, he, he approved the ability of them to go. Now the ICC has to rule, do they, A, have a, a legitimate, do they have the legitimate standing? Can they become a member? Right. Because they're not a state and... By April 1st, they will access, because the International Criminal Court is saying that we will let them at least apply, and then we'll decide. But they have a, a lot of decisions uh, to make in this process. One is they can say Israel, if, if in fact Israel can show that it is has an independent judiciary, credibility, uh, uh, legitimacy ascribed to, to it, then the International Criminal Court jurisdiction is limited. Uh, it's meant to go after war crimes against countries that don't have judiciaries that investigate itself. No country investigates itself more than Israel. Is the United yeah, States... To, is, let me just finish. This. I know, but I need to know if they're going to have to execute some type of veto in order to keep them out. No. It, it won't go through even without a U.S. veto? But you're mixing things. Thing. The Internet... The no, I understand. Security I Council... But does they it, come back to Security Council, it's going to require... A U.S. veto. Understood. There's no veto. United States is not a member of the International Criminal Court. Ah, so they have no influence. Or is Israel. I got you. And, uh, but the, the veto will be necessary next time be- at the Security Council right. because 
the change in membership on January 1st, and Malaysia became a member, Venezuela became a member, so the likelihood of getting nine votes has increased. So the question was, why did Abbas then push it when right. he knew that the change was taking place? That we discussed last week. And right. why he pushed it right. right. So that's a separate track completely. Now, let's go back to the International Criminal Court. You have the Rome Statute. The, it, the Palestinians signed on to it. So that is preliminary to joining. And the um, what the Secretary, State, uh, Secretary General's office essentially did was to say, okay, we received the, you know, this and pass it on to the ICC. The, um, uh, and I, I, well, the role that they played in the, in the uh, Security Council is a separate uh, topic. So mm-hmm. they issued a statement saying we're not judging or not anything else. We're just doing what is essentially a procedural uh, step. The, the going to the International Criminal Court can backfire easily, and that means that if, the, if they're recognized, they took then, as a member state, then war crimes can, charges can be brought against them. Yeah, Israel but... will be able to defend the cases, hopefully even in such a biased institution, um, but the, uh, the, they will present evidence of the real war crimes, which are Hamas and, and the Islamic Jihad. Then you have also the debate because, you, you know, uh, a fifth to a third of the people in the West Bank who are employed work in Israel. And you, you could have consequences of many kinds that will uh, be affected. The international community gives about $900 million to the Palestinians, meaning the Europeans primarily, and the United States about $440 million. Israel transfers $1.8 billion. They held up the transfer. So that could be a big issue, and it's because of money that they over. That happened over last weekend. They haven't changed? They haven't caved in yet on that? <laughs> no. no I'm, I'm being serious. Like, it's, this is not a day-to-day thing. Like, this they is gonna they be a... will eventually, because the question is, do you want to see the PA collapse? Right. Because then the responsibility, by most opinions, falls back on Israel. Right, of course. Right. To have to pick up the pieces and, and pick up the bills and uh, et cetera. So... And the United States lawmakers that want to make sure that if, in fact, the uh, the PA continues this push for the ICC, that they will have all financial aid cut off, that's unrealistic, right? No, it is the law. That's the law? It is the that law. Only, only if they pursue it? No. So the, the difference is the, it's, it's, um, there, are, there is a debate about when does the law kick in. Right. At what step in the process. Right. There has to be a radio judicial process, or is it just the application? Right. What, what, is the pers- what does pursuit mean, is the question. Now, so the question is whether you have additional legislation that would expand it, but the legislation is there to cut off the aid if they go ahead, and I think the, the votes in Congress are there. I don't think the administration, which would, would not favor it, and the, again, the fear on some part is that you cut off all the aid, A, you're driving it to, to the uh, more to extreme to get money from others, but more importantly, you can lead to the collapse. And what happens when they can't pay the security guys, and then security cooperation with Israel collapses? And the fact is that it still works, and and is important. I'm just saying people tend to look at these things very simply and say, cut off all the aid, cut off everything else. But you got to think about what the ramifications are, which is why Israel, even when they cut the aid, in your comments earlier. It was about that. They, right. they restore it. They restore it because of the practicalities. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> Otherwise, it becomes Israel's burden. 
uh, comes Israel's burden. And again, the important point for in terms of Israel being brought there is that if you have a, a, a reliable legal system, they don't have uh, um, jurisdiction. And uh, Fatou uh, Bensouda, who is the prosecutor, has a lot of uh, a lo- big range of of uh, capabilities in making decisions in this. But they are overwhelmed. They have a limited staff. It's the the ICC itself doesn't want to be put on trial, which is essentially what would happen. And um, you know they they've uh, they've used the general in the definitions they use general assembly resolutions and not legal precedents. The legal precedents come down very much on Israel's side in this regard. Uh, in Paris, uh, many many news outlets now saying there are five hostages in a grocery store in Paris being held by the terrorists, and that's the hostage situation or the main one that's been making the headlines. And for some reason, again, these rumors in our community continue worldwide that it's, uh, that there is some relationship between that grocery store and the Jewish community of Paris. I guess more details will be coming up, and we pray for the safety of everybody, especially the innocent people in this episode. Uh, you saw the bump that Likud got after the primary battle last week in terms of seats, uh, projected seats in the next Knesset? It, it will continue, as you know, Israeli politics, as unpredictable as they are. But well, now they're in first was, place, according Cologne to the polls. was up, you know, in double digits. Now he's below 10. Right. Um, the Labor Party going ahead of Likud, behind Likud, ahead of Likud. Uh, Shas's internal divisions, the, um, the, you know, the, the jockeying between a few key parties. Uh, but it's two months away. There are going to be a million changes taking place. We also have to see all, all the lists. You know, you saw Netanyahu this week um, put it out on, on the Internet about who he should fill the two open slots that he, are dedic- designated for him to, to fill. Um, <laughs> Fagelin's breaking and announcing that he's going to have a party, and then others saying that Maybe you should give Fagelin one of those spots. Well, it's really unclear. Phil. To get Fagelin out of there. It's unclear if Fagelin's going to form his own party, right? It's like we're not 100% sure that that's, his, that that's where he's uh, going. Often this is a, a leverage. And remember, you have to get at least four seats right. to get into the Knesset. Now. Right, the number of votes that would equal four seats. Right, Right, but if you don't get that, those, those the threshold, votes essentially yeah. are always they're divided amongst the existing parties. Why would PB cave in now and put him on the list? I don't get that. Or make a deal, you mean, for his voters. Right, and to to try to silence uh, the opposition right. because he made some comments about positive comments about how he's influenced and et cetera, but but that's a sop to a, a constituency. Oh, so this whole thing on Monday, Fagelin's big uh, bravado actually might just be a uh, a threat to Bibi. You know, take me back, so to speak. Right, you mean about announcing another party yeah. and resigning from the could Yeah, resigned. I mean he was very dramatic about it, and you know, remember he, he didn't get the support from, right. from the Likud. So and now that you're already isolating, cut out in in uh, in that. But by the way, just one thing I, w- I wanted to mention: if you want the answer to the question about what should be done, read the president of Egypt's speech, where he lays out what needs to be done, and he said that Islam needs a reform. He said that uh, there has to be new thinking, uh, Islamic thinking, and he said it's antagonizing the world. He said, well, 1.6 billion people want to kill 7 billion, the rest of the population, so that they can live. He said it's impossible, and we need our own revolution, a religious revolution. And I think people should read that, and you know that he attended for the first time ever uh, a mass at a Coptic church, 
and was cheered there and, and welcomed there. That's not something, you know, the press here gives much coverage to, and uh, they still criticize him and talk about, you know, the human rights. But here, the guy made a, a, a speech of, of such consequence and importance so that's the answer. He's offering the formula for what could be done. And we know that, and we know from his predecessors that he's putting in life, his life in danger by doing all this. Um, do it if, I think if he didn't realize that this could go down well, and you know he he is trying to take control. And Egypt is the place where you have the most foreign investment, I think, in the Middle East today of the Arab countries. How different than two years ago in Egypt? You know. Exactly right. Think about what the consequences are still with Gaza, with others, and he still continues to take on Hamas. His unfortunate thing is his, he has a lot of problems with uh, Libya, where you have cross-border raids, where you have the increasing Islamization and the presence of ISIL and uh, Al-Qaeda and other groups. Uh, what is the status of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt now? They're they still there. Don't forget, they have a deep infrastructure. It goes back to the 1820s. They are the mother group of all of the Islamist groups. And uh, you know they are uh, they are very present. I mean, as they're members of government, no? Muslim Brotherhood has representation in the Egyptian government, right? They had representation in the parliament, but he's outlawed them. So ah, so they, it's as if they were just tossed out of the parliament, essentially tossed out of everything. Right. But he's isolated them. No, but that, that's what surprises. Uh, what surprises me is that he's still alive in that case. You know what I mean? And, and and also, you know how long we talked about what happened in Yemen. Now, people are seeing it somewhat, especially the fact that one of these guys went. Well, remember what I asked you last week. When it comes to Yemen, if you're a news reader, you can't decide whether they're good guys. They can't. They can't decide if they're terrorists or not, or who they're siding with. You know, like it just. Well, well you have two sides in Yemen, and both right. are bad. You pointed that out to us. Al Qaeda and the and the Houthis, but. Um, uh, so, so the you know the situation there and the threat to take over the straits. It's the Egyptians who said we will go to war over it. The West didn't say we'll go to war if you try to do it. The Egyptians who went to war with Yemen in the past over this uh, said we're not going to tolerate it. And if you notice, they haven't moved to take over the, the, the straits. Right. For a lot of reasons, and the U.S. is is somewhat active there now, or in minimal ways, I think. But uh, the, the Houthis now are moving in the uh, in the Sana governate the area of Sana to take over the military sites which have long range missiles that could hit many of the Gulf states. Unbelievable what's going on. What do you think of the Barbara Boxer announcement that she'll be retiring? It was anticipated, and uh, as you know, the Democrats uh, lost control and don't see themselves coming back into control. So for many, it becomes a disincentive. For, uh, Do you think the next senator from California will be a Jewish woman? <laughs> um, odds are low. <laughs> it's, uh, could you imagine two U.S. senators from California, they're both Jewish women? I think elected really close to each other, right? Or It wasn't the same. It couldn't have been the same year. But, it wasn't the same year. But very close. Am I right? Like, close, yes. Like almost back to that. a long time. She's been in, in Congress a very long time. Uh, as has Diane Feinstein. Yeah. Uh, well, Boxer, I think, was a senator like a year after she entered Congress. I think right away after the first term of uh, Rand. Yeah, first or second, or second term, right. Unbelievable. Uh, well, there you have it. Um, the, well, we haven't even. I know we haven't touched the service. <laughs> the the, 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 sta- the standoff all, but, uh, continues. Manpower is not an issue, right? You, I mean, the, the, France has as much military manpower as necessary to throw at these guys at this point. 
No, they don't have as much manpower and infrastructure, uh, etc., as they should to to be able to to address it. And when the police announce and say that they that these areas they don't go to, then you understand it's it's um, it, the capacity is limited, and you have other countries where you have virtually no capacity, and you don't have the investment. I don't want to name names because I don't want to start. The next time there's an attack, then they'll blame me for having yeah. exposed them. But I can tell you they are European countries, and we do a lot of work with the security. The Jewish community is well organized uh, and has uh, infrastructure and does work with the, the government, and the government you know, does condemn every time these attacks, and they do speak out uh, uh, on it. But the, um, you know, the tolerance for so much of what has gone on and how whole areas, whether in Germany or in France or even in England, and, and uh, where the educational systems are co- corrupted, where you have imams who are preaching violent messages, where you have uh, the lawlessness, it's, it's got to be stopped because it's, it's a cancer and it keeps growing and it will inevitably continue to grow. And if the focus is going to be Israel and them going to the international court, rather than focusing on the the real sources of, of instability and the, the dangers that, that exist, and Iran continuing to get away with expanding its role, whether in, in Iraq, whether in Syria, whether in, 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 in Sudan or Yemen. Uh, there are reports that they're cutting Hezbollah, but we know that they're, they're pouring weapons into Syria, into Iraq. They have uh, their own troops there. They're expanding their influence all the time, which can only further uh, destabilize. Sisi of Egypt gets criticized. And Khamenei can say everything and tell us what he's doing and do all these terrible things and, and not get, get isolated and the international community act against him or Erdogan or, or others who are radicalizing their own populations and helping others who, who engage in this uh, activity also. No question. And it has all ramifications in terms of the PA, in terms of, uh, yeah. of the cell groups that operate in and around Israel. And God, Israel's acting, and, but... But uh, just one thing again about the north, in Israel's north, where people have to focus attention. The Israelis are obviously uh, focusing more attention, but you have the, the ISIL and Al Nusra and others operating. The Hezbollah, we know that the IRGC is located; it has a presence there in uh, in Lebanon. And if they want to stoke the fires and want to steam things up. It's very easy to do. All right, Malcolm, we'll reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We pray for those who are uh, in that hostage situation, and may the uh, those who are murdered this week in Paris, may their uh, murder, may their death not be in vain. Hopefully the uh, the world will wake up and uh, and act accordingly against the uh, the evil of uh, this world. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, J.M. and the A.M. on this uh, Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos, candle lighting at 426 each and every uh, Friday, every Friday morning, uh, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, is with us to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas and beginning Sefer Shmos, the second book of the Torah. It is called Sefer HaGeula, the book of our redemption. We are Mimitzrayim Ge'altonu, Mibes Avodim Pedisonu, the book that describes the Exodus. And the same book that describes the Exodus 
reminds us annually that we were not freed until we received the Torah, which is in the middle of the book, and then until we build the sanctuary of keeping God ever in our midst in a most literal sense. I'd like to focus my attention this morning on an incident whereby we're all familiar that Moshe Rabbeinu is chosen by Hashem to be his ambassador, to be his go-between between Paro, between the Jewish people, to lead the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. And God appears to Moshe in chapter 3 at the burning bush. And what is the first thing that Hashem says to Moshe? Shal Altikrav Halom. In chapter 3, verse 5, he tells Moshe, don't come any closer to see the bush which has aroused your attention on its not being consumed and burned by the fire. Shalm Olecha Meyaraglecha. Moshe, take off your shoes. Why? Kiamokom. Asherato omedo love, because the place that you are standing, Admas Kodeshu, is holy ground. And this, by the way, is the source of the halacha, as we find in the Gemara Brachos Nundalid, that on Harabayas, in the Besamigdash, everybody went Yochev went barefoot without shoes. Now, the question is, why? Why is it that on holy ground one is not to wear shoes? And today we have a relic of this in that when the Kohanim Duchen in our Botekenesios they remove their shoes as was done in the Mikdash. The question is, why? I'd like to suggest several reasons. Instinctively, I would say that what do shoes do? Shoes provide a kind of desensitization. Namely, when you wear your shoes, you're not aware of the pebbles, of the pieces of glass or nail, or all the other things that might be out there on the road, on the street, which would normally very much bother us and hurt us. When one wears the shoe, one is no longer sensitive to all these little items. Hashem is granting Moshe and charging him with leadership. And the first thing that he's telling Moshe is that a leader must be 
sensitive and therefore take off your shoes. The Chizkuni understands this in a very practical sense. Lest our shoes step into something which is unclean and impure and we bring that into the holy place for a practical reason we remove our shoes. I'd like to suggest however two other rather esoteric and meaningful responses to the removal of shoes at a holy place. In the Sefer Tam Minhogim, he has in the back a likut, a collection of inyanim shonim. And he says, why is it that our rabbis tell us how important it is for a person to literally procure a pair of shoes? And he suggests very interestingly that when Adam HaRishon, when the first man sinned, the Torah tells us in chapter 3, the God says to Adam, Arura The earth shall be cursed because of you. And therefore, man dons shoes to create a hefsake, to create an interruption between the bottom of his foot and the earth, that which is cursed. And therefore, on a place which is Admas Kodesh, on a place which is holy, where God appears to Moshe in a base Amigdash, that area is excluded from the curse, and therefore, in such an area, one would not need shoes, and to demonstrate that that area is not included in the curse, one would remove their shoes and walk barefoot. And therefore, interestingly, he continues and he says, why is there a restriction regarding Yom Kippur? Because the holiness of the day is not simply that Yom Kippur affords for us kapara, but the holiness of the day is literally, it's a different day. And this day is above the curse, and therefore to demonstrate that the curse of Arura Ha'adama Ba'avurecha does not apply to Yom Kippur, we remove our shoes on Yom Kippur. This is one approach as to why Moshe was told to Shalm Olecha Me'al Raglecha. The Shalom HaKadosh in his commentary on the Siddur whereby the Gemara tells us in Brachos 60b the Birkas HaShachar the morning blessings that we recite so the Talmud tells us that when they experience, when they open their eyes, and so when they put on their shoes, 
the Talmud says one is to recite the bracha, one of the brachos that we have in our Birkas HaShachar, She'osoli called Sorki, literally thanking God for providing me with all my needs. Now, how does the shoe represent man's being provided with all his needs? Suggest the Shalah. We know, as we find clearly delineated by Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi in his Kuzari, there are within the world four different strata, one above the other. There is the domain, the inanimate, the tzomeach, literally vegetation, chai, the animals, and medaber, man. And each one is above the other, and not only that, but each one has dominion over the other. And so the second category of tzomeach, the vegetation, grows from the ground, which is the inanimate. And the chai, the animals, consume the vegetation. And man consumes the animals. And when man takes from the skin of the animal and fashions his shoes from the skin of the animals and literally treads upon the skin of the animal, he is demonstrating literally what we find in chapter 8 of Tehillim, verse 7, whereby David HaMelech, in extolling God and how God has elevated man, You, Hashem, have given man dominion over the work of your hands. Kol shata tachas raglov. Literally, everything you have placed under his feet. And the Shalot takes this most literally. Under his feet, meaning his shoes. His shoe represents this dominion. Dominion over the animals, and hence dominion over all of society and nature, because the animals are above the vegetation, above the earth, and man is above the animals. And hence, the concept of the shoe represents the dominion of man. Comes along the Shalot, and therefore says that Shalolecha Me'al Raglecha, Moshe was told in a place where he is literally encountering God, there, remove your shoes to yield to the higher authority. And so when the Jew comes to the Beis HaMikdash, the Jew removes his shoe once again in order to show that he is in the presence of a higher authority, and therefore he removes his authority, if I can use that term, which is what the shoe represents. And interestingly, as we find in Koheles, in Shilton Bioma Moves, Loelenu at the time of passing, of death, man loses his dominion over nature, and therefore he takes off his shoes, the mourner, as a sign of once again his yielding to a higher authority.
And so the shoe has come to represent this aspect of accepting and yielding a higher authority. Now we today, where man is accomplishing so much as God directed him to, he is literally to control and master nature. He builds, he heals, literally, and puts man in outer space, and he's looking and overlooks the earth, too often, as we look around, man loses the idea that there is a higher authority. After all, look what I have accomplished. My might, my power, my ingenuity, my, my, my has Osoli has enabled me to accomplish. And therefore, our putting on the shoe, when we say She'osali called Sarki, we are basically saying that there is that higher authority, and God gives me what I need. And He gives me only what I need, and if somebody else has more, that's because that somebody needs more to accomplish what they need to accomplish in this world. But God gives each and every one of us what we need to reach our potential. And therefore, when we put on our shoes in the morning and we recite this bracha of She'osali called Tzorki, which is our way of showing our dominion, but reminding us that there is something higher than us, this allows us ultimately to have shiltone, to have dominion over the behemoth, the insatiable appetite that man has in terms of yesh lomana, he has 100 rotsem osayim. He wants more. And the only way that man can enjoy life, because if he's constantly running after more, like Esav, yesh rav, I have a lot, but never having enough. And Yaakov Avinu, Yesh Li Kol, I have all that I need. This is that beautiful bracha of She'osa Li Kol Tzarki, which is motivated to us and literally demonstrated by the shoe. So the tremendous ability of the Jew, when he puts on his shoe in the morning, and when he removes his shoe at night time, to be able to acknowledge the bigger picture and to realize and say thank you to Hashem for giving me what I need, enabling me not only to master society at large, but to master the behemoth that is within me. Shabbat Shalom. To all. J.M. in the A.M. at 20 minutes before 9 o'clock. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin. Uh, Friday morning on this January the 9th, the 18th of Teves. Watching closely as uh, this hostage situation continues to unfold in Paris. Candle lighting at 426 on this Arab Shabbos. Parsha Shmos. 25 degrees. Light snow, he said, for this morning. I didn't realize that Jay Booksbound was going to bring us an entire blizzard. Oh you see God. what's going on out here? Yes, but I, can you hear me? 
I hear you fine. Turn that mic that way. You see that red? Yeah. Talking okay, to the exactly. bird. Oh, oh, yeah. There you go. Got it now. Bird. Yeah, that's that, that, right. Okay. That, 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 that. <laughs> Did we go into Billy? Is this a Billy Joel concert? No. No. I, I said the KFWE prices are the prices of a Billy Joel concert, but this is not a Billy Joel concert. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you brought it up. I was going to the Billy Joel concert that night. What, what's KFWE? No. I'll tell you about KFWE in a moment, but okay. first I want to lament All right. about the blizzard-type conditions we're in in Jersey City right now. I'm shocked you were here on time. Yeah. And even early. It's crazy. Because it must be treacherous out there. Unbelievable. And this came out of nowhere, Mr. Bookstone. And you know what's interesting? Yeah, what? They're not prepared because the the uh. the... the, the and I'm just giving you a public service announcement here. Right. Be very careful. The streets are not salted. They're not. I'm you know just why? Not prepared. You know why? Why? De Blasio. De Blasio. <laughs> Except we're in Jersey. De Blasio. De Blasio. We're blaming him for all the problems with the snow already. Jay Booksbaum is here. Oh, by the way, regards from Lipa over at Filler Up on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, right. New Jersey. Took great care of us yesterday. And I asked him a question I'm going to ask you, okay? okay? If you're only concerned with the length of time that a bottle of wine can last, and by the way, Jay Booksbaum is here from Kedem, of course, number one kosher wine sommelier on planet Earth. We don't know about the other planets, but on planet Earth, he's number They're one. They're discovering a bunch of new planets. Yeah, that's now. true. Yeah. I think we're going to send your brother Parrots to, <laughs> to, to be the number one sommelier on the other Shout planet. out to Parrots. <laughs> Regards go. from the Nyman's Mazel Tov to the Kamenetsky. That's right. The Shia and... Uh, uh, Asha, I think her name is. The Nymans and the Kamenetskis with the extra special Mazel Tov to Barbara Kamenetsky, Mazel Tov and the big Simcha on Shia's engagement. Um, what was I just telling you? Yes, I asked him this question yesterday over in Teaneck, New Jersey, on West Englewood Avenue. Okay. If you're concerned with the length of time a bottle of wine can last, not once you open it, meaning while it's still closed. I know once you open it, you need to finish it, like, you know, relatively soon, right? Right. Then, then can you buy one of those big magnums? Do they last less time, or are they designed to last longer than a regular size bottle of wine? And the answer is the answer is depends on the wine. So some, in fact, you can know, last longer. If if it's an age worthy wine, the general consensus is that they do last longer. I frankly am an exception to that consensus. I don't agree. I think they actually last less. Mm. And I'll tell you why. The consensus is because what because it's a larger bottle, there's less air per wine right. in the bottle. There's only that little cap of air at the top, like you have a little cap of air right. in the seven fifty, but there's less wine. So that oxidation takes longer because there's less there's more wine in the magnum, okay, in the large bottle. However, the large bottle is filled usually from boutique wineries by hand. And so the aeration at bottling mm. is greater. So I, I don't agree with the, Very you know, good. most of the people, but uh, who the heck Mach- am I? Machlokas, Jay, and Lipa. Yeah, exactly. By the way, you know what I discovered yesterday yeah. in his store? What's that? I didn't know Walders put out a great Purim bottle. Ooh, delish. Believe no, forget, forget the taste. The size is perfect. Yeah. They, that's a great mini bottle. It's a it's bunch not, more It's not too. really mini, but it's mini. You know yeah, what I'm saying? It's, it's smaller. Yeah. And I assume they did it for Purim. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Jay. It's been nice speaking to you. <laughs> Me too. The Kosher Food and Wine Experience has announced its event for 2015. Now, don't get confused, folks, because now there's about 30 Kosher Food and Wine Experiences around the country and the world. California. My, you never thought this would take off Minnesota? Like Minnesota has a KFWE crazy. also? Oh, my gosh. We had 450 people first year. Plus Florida, plus California. Am I forgetting anywhere? And then New York. Is there anything New else? New York. There's one in... Oh, London. London. Right. Were you at the London one or you didn't no, go? No, I didn't go this. No. Did Yoichi go to the London yes. one? Yes. 
Uh, actually, I don't know if he went this year. How many people were there for London? 800. I'll tell you, you guys never realized, never realized what you were starting with the KFWE. Crazy, crazy. The first KFWE was four years ago, five years ago? Nine years ago. It was nine years ago already? Yeah. It was at the Jewish Museum. Wow. You know, down, downtown, you know. Museum of Jewish Heritage. Me, yeah. Nine. And we had like, we were we like, broadcast sittering, we would sittering that we couldn't right. get 300 people. Right, I remember. You know? And we got 300 people, it filled up. You're not sold out for this year yet, are you? Not yet, but it's getting there. And by the way, folks, and I was needling Jay about the price, it's 125 bucks, and I will still argue it is worth every penny. Thank you. Could you imagine you're selling at 125 and you will sell out? You'll Listen, sell out. If you went to dinner in any place, right. even, even, even in like with a wine medium, and with food, wine right. and food, it would be like four times the price mm. for the kind of wine and food you're getting. That's true. At least four times. Plus, That's true. you get to meet all your friends and family and... Just be careful about, you know, not over-drinking right. or coming without a, right. a car. Or take car services yeah, or whatever it exactly. Or have a designated driver and all that exactly. other stuff that you always recommend. Right. All right, so that's true. You're making a good case. I mean, you're talking. And the caterers are, again, cooperating with you. There'll be plenty of food, Oh, my right? gosh. There's, uh, I think, close to 20, somewhere between 25 and 30. And they realize it's a high-class event they've got to provide <sighs> and all that stuff. Each one of them is bringing their signature dish. They're allowed one or two dishes. Each one of them is bringing their signature dish. Could you imagine? I'm trying to think if I... If You're I talking think. about something like uh, 75 courses. <laughs> you know, if you went through You don't have all. 30 caterers there, do No, you? we have, we have uh, I think it's 25 or something. It's not caterers. It's some caterers, restaurants, restaurants and, right. and, you know... There could be 25 there at this yeah, event? I think so. Metropolitan Pavilion's big enough for this? It's actually bigger than the last venue. Wow. I'm not sure it's as pretty, you know, because it's kind of enclosed. But a larger but space. A larger space, which we need because last year we sold out, even with the boat. Unbelievable. How many people are you expecting this year? You have capacity for how many this year? 2,000. You could have 2,000 And there will be no tickets sold at the door. Zero. You can't get in if you don't you order in advance. You cannot get in if you don't order in advance. It's correct. It will be, I God am, willing. I am speechless, Mr. Booksman. Kodesh Baruch should only be good to us. It will be sold out. <laughs> Unbelievable. I am speechless. And by the way, Jay's been kind enough. It's one of the hardest tickets to get. It is. Because like, I look for freebies every year, and I can't Listen, get we them. Get, we get pressed at court. You know, the right. press comes in the right. afternoon. Right. And then they, There's and a two-hour. Right. And, and, like, we give out press passes right. for them to come in the afternoon when it's quieter. Right. You know, there's only a few hundred people. Right. That's where you're of, kind to me when I ask for something. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but I cannot tell you how many press people tell me, yeah, but can I get one for the right. evening? Can I get four for the evening? You know, and, and the it's answer like, is no. The answer is no. We just can't do it. Uh, the ninth annual kosher food and wine experience, Monday, February 9th, Metropolitan Pavilion on West 18th Street in New York City, the largest kosher food and wine festival in the world. You'll have a chance to try 200 wines from around the world. Food. That's, a, that's not true. It's more than 200. Much more. Uh, many of them, many of them Nahum Siegel type wines. Absolutely. Many of them on the sweet side. Many of them dessert wines. Correct. Um, so virtually, virtually every region will show not virtually. Every region will show some dessert wines. Including France, Italy, yeah, you name it. Australia, Chile. Australia, Chile. Uh, Russia. Uh, I don't know about Russia. But I don't know if we have any wines I from Russia. I think you had a Russian We had. I'm not year. sure we're going to have one this year. California, obviously. Years ago. California. Uh, France. Uh, Forget New York. Russia. Maybe I'm thinking Canadian. Did you have a Canadian one? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, not Russia. New Canadian. Zealand. I mean, you, you name New it. New Zealand, right? Gosh. Anyway. Australia. Um, and oh, as you said, close to 30 caterers, restaurants, etc. 
uh, most attended event of the year when it comes to kosher food and wine. And Jay has done us, our listeners, the biggest favor. The don't big, tell anybody the else. The biggest favor. Listen, it's only for your now, listeners. What's funny is people don't realize that this is all they're going to be able to save. In other words, people think that as they wait to get tickets for this event, they'll be able to get it, you know, half price. It, it doesn't happen. No, we're I, taking yours away, folks. <laughs> in folks, about a week or something. I know they're taking my coupon code away in a week. Oh, so I'm but, not sure. We'll trust see. me on this, folks. Trust me, I know this. I've tried to play this game <laughs> with the Kenneth people for the last nine years. It is impossible. Everybody's got to pay the 125 bucks. The big news today is that if you use the promo code Nahum18, you save $18. At checkout. You couldn't even make it 25 You had to, you couldn't get it down to 100 No, we wanted to give you the life of the party, the 18 the chai, you know? It's a, this is where Jay walks in every year and he knows he has all of us. He's got all of us. It's unbelievable. Use the checkout. It's KFWE15. KFWE15 is dot the... Com, yeah. Dot com, is the website. For kosher food and wine experience, use the promo code Nachum18, N-A-C-H-U-M-18. You get 18 bucks off. And you get a free glass. And the free glass when you walk in. And you taste, get uh, And the free water and all that. And, and the, what, the, the tasting book. Right. Which lists all the wine, which is pretty Correct. cool, yeah. really. It's it really is cool. Take, exactly. Take it home with you and you could, you know, make notes so that when you walk into your fine wine shop, the Lipa store or right. others, you know. You'll see what you like and you'll tell them. Exactly. This is what I need, et cetera. Send me a case of this and send me a case exactly. of that. Exactly. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know something? There'll be many wines there that will be sold out as well. What do you mean that will be sold out? That you have to. That won't be available in the retail stores? Oh, it, it will be only limited release. At retail. A few cases? Yeah. Like you'll need a really good... I'll mention some. There's yeah, going to There's going to be Black Tulip, which is from uh, Tulip Winery. Yeah. There's going to be Noble. There's going to be the brand new... These are, these are not expensive wines, but I'm telling you they're going to sell out. There's going to be the new variations from Baron Herzog. But if from you, Herzog. But seriously, sure. the next day you have to go to a good... Re- or yeah. you have to contact a good retailer to get it? Like, yeah. That's yeah. the way it works? Yeah. You can't buy it that night. No. There's no such thing as selling no. that. There's going to be Legend 2 from uh, Shiloh. Wow. And I just did a YouTube on a, talking about Nachum Siegel type wine. I did a, a YouTube recent, last week on a Shiloh Fort, F-O-R-T. Yeah. It's really just a takeoff of port. Right. So it's a sweet, delicious, red, heavy, wonderful wine. And it's Mavushal. That's also very limited release. Remember what I called the, uh, the port that I tasted? No, a heavy Pesach wine. And, <laughs> and thank God the people I was with, because that was at the, uh, remind me. Psagot. In the Psagot winery. Right. Thank God the people I was with were, were tolerant. They said, okay, we get that. Yeah, you, you can call it that, you know. I don't know how anybody could drink that for Arbicosos. You know, it's I just know. too heavy and rich. That is a heavy And wine. also high in alcohol. It's 18%. <laughs> 17 or 18%. <laughs> but people love it. Yeah. Delicious. Lip smacking good, as I call it. There you it. go. <laughs> uh, KFWE15.com. KFWE15.com. Metropolitan Pavilion on the 9th of February. The world's largest kosher food and wine experience. What else do you have there in front of you? I also have, uh, there's going to be new wines from Ovadia, a Chianti Classico DOCG. Dominizio Originata Controllata Garantita. What is that? That's Spanish. I'm sorry, that's Italian. Wow. That's that's Italian. It tells you that the Chianti is not only good and delicious and comes from Ovadia and therefore it's reliable, but it's a very specified area and goes through very specified uh, production qualifications in order to receive that DOCG. That DOCG is is a governmental... Um, it's kind of like USDA. You gotta but be for a, wine. You gotta be serious yeah, to get that. You gotta that. be serious to get that. And oh. there's gonna be very limited stuff on that. And it's not expensive either. It's about 20 bucks. 
No, I mean, relatively speaking. Right, understood. You're not telling people how to spend their money, but uh, we get you. And then there's a bunch of new wines from France, including Les Lauriers from Rothschild, uh, a new vintage of Parsac, uh, Roland de Bay new vintages. Uh, it's just going to be amazing. You must have done really well on the SATs, <laughs> that you can memorize all these names. I mean, my gosh. No, you know, if you live it, you know, it's kind of like... That's true. I mean, come on, you, how many... You you remember all the album names of all the... Yeah, you, know, right? you must have done really well on the ACTs. But you're, the CATs, but, you're, but, you're do, but you're doing it in different languages. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm very telling impressed. Well, and a big shout out, yeah. and this is this is uh, germane, yeah. pertinent yeah. to the KFWE. Big shout out to Dr. Michael Bergman, okay. who has made a suggestion. Dr. Michael, thank you. And I'm not sure how much we'll be able to get done on this, but he's made a suggestion that the pourers should be more informed about the wines Good that point. they're Good that point. they're pouring. We're going to try to do more of that. Right. It's a little bit late, so we're going to get some of that done. But more education. More, A little bit more education. Right. You will have, and this is really wonderful, more than ever in any past year, you're going to have more winemakers and wine owners on site to talk about their wine so consumers can really find out, you know, where does it come from? Where does it originate? Tell me about the grapes. For example, for the first time in history, Amichai Luria, who's a wonderful guy uh, from Shiloh, is going to be in town, and he's going to be at both the California and the New York event. And he's going to be able to tell you all about the wines. For California listeners, it's the week before, day before? When does Two it... days later. Two days later, after yeah, New York. It's okay. Monday in New York, Wednesday in California. So February the 11th, California, all the information. Do you know that and this, is, this, is no, this is no baloney? We have people from California who fly to New York. And then go back? And then go back. And we have people in New York who the next day fly to California to go to both events. And, of course, you have people from Florida who come into the New York event all the time. People from Florida, Chicago, you name it. Candlelighting 426. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two coming up at 9 a.m. This is uh, Journeys. Time to say good Shabbos at JM in the a.m. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Want to thank Jay Booksbaum, kfwe15.com for information. Nahum 18 is the promo code. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you very much. This song never gets tired. This <laughs> ending sure. song is wonderful. But yeah. Thank you, Nachum, and see you all at KFWE 8, uh, uh, February 9th. February 9th. Metropolitan Pavilion. We'll remind everybody. Let us know when it's sold out. I'm curious to know how quickly it happens this it time around. It could happen after today. Uh, that's very possible. Uh, Naomi Nachman next. She'll speak with Joel Haber, tour guide in Israel and giving incredible shook tours of Machane Yehuda. Simon Auerbacher from VIP Ram Destinations running a Pesach program at the Doral. And she'll be doing the culinary arts program. And the talented Beth Warren of Living a Real Life with Real Food. All coming up next. You can see the whole show on NahumSiegel.com. I've Rummy tomorrow night with Saturday Night Siegel. Mott this Sunday with JM Sunday. Don't forget Tuesday, we kick off Amit's 90th anniversary celebration of their headquarters in Manhattan. We'll give you details on Monday. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Till Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.